Support for this episode comes from Awesome Merch. Awesome Merch is the leading supplier of custom merchandise and print to the craft beer industry, with over 700 custom products made in-house. Awesome Merch understands how to take your brewery's branding designs and turn them into a range of merch that you can use as an additional revenue stream, as well as building brand recognition with your fans. That's why Awesome Merchandise has been trusted by more than 100 craft breweries, both big and small, to bring your brand to life on t-shirts, hoodies, headwear, and so much more. Awesome Merch works with the likes of Northern Monk, Beaver Town, Magic Rock, Camden Town, as well as Leeds International Beer Festival and Indie Man Beer Con, to name just a few. To find out more about Awesome Merch, visit awesomemerchandise.com today or email beer at awesomemerchandise.com to speak to one of their friendly teams. Timothy Taylor's is a name synonymous with excellent beer, in particular its output in the form of landlord and bolt maker. But while the modern cast marketplace is definitely challenging, Andy Lehman, head brewer at the West Yorkshire-based business, says you'd never compromise your values when it comes to believing in and making quality beer. Just think, a delicious, well-made cask beer, perfectly cellared. Many would argue that it's few better beers going, Andy Knows the Brewery, which is based in Keithley, Yorkshire, operates in different spaces to many of the modern beer styles being enjoyed across the UK. But he's vindicated by the ongoing popularity of beers such as Landlord have with drinkers of all kinds. And Lehman says brewers and beer fans alike have long come to Timothy Taylor's wanting to know the secret of their success. But there is no magic bullet in making great beer. Instead, it's having faith in what you do, holding strong principles and sticking to them. Andy recalls former head brewer Alan Hay once deliver a presentation in response to what they do differently with their beers. It started with one simple statement. No, 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 no. Alan proudly stated that they used no adjuncts, no enzymes, no pellets, no extracts and so on. They were doing things no differently to others around them. Simply, others had changed. Such an attitude extends the naming convention of the brewer's beers too. Canvassing public opinion when making decisions in the world of beer certainly wasn't an invention that only came along with the advent of Twitter or Facebook. Landlord started life as bottled beer. As a then nameless beer in the 1950s, samples were sent out to accounts such as local clubs, complete with a tear-off label. People were to send back their suggestions and the best name would win. A club steward, Lemon tells us, suggested landlord and won £500 for their troubles. An awful lot of money back then. So when it came to renaming their best bitter, the brewery adopted the same idea. The landlord of the Boltmaker Arms recommended Boltmaker as a name and the rest was history. The funny thing is they also won £500. Not quite the same decades later, he recalls. In this episode, recorded at the Brewers' Congress, Andy gives an overview of cask-conditioned beer, how they do it at Timothy Taylor's, and the benefits of producing beer that way. He talks about the importance of using the best ingredients possible, why you should never rush the process, and his approach to being the latest brewing guardian of such a revered and much-loved operation. So today I'd like to talk about cask-conditioned beer, in particular... Uh, the law according to Timothy Taylor's. Everybody does things differently, and that's the beauty of beer. I've been at Timothy Taylor's 31 years, and I've been head brewer 
since 2016. So a couple of definitions here, and you can see they're fairly similar. Camera beer brewed from its traditional ingredients, matured by secondary fermentation in the container from which it is dispensed and served without the use of extraneous CO2. And Wikipedia, unfiltered, unpasteurized beer, which is conditioned, including secondary fermentation, and served from a cask without additional nitrogen or carbon dioxide pressure. And the reason camera don't use the word cask is because they apply that definition to bottle conditioned beer also. So what does cask conditioning do in a beer? And why is this so important? Um, the production of carbon dioxide in the beer gives the sparkle and zest to the, to the finished product. Um, there's mellowing of harsh green notes over time, partly due to the presence of the yeast in the beer as well. And the body develops, the malt and the hop flavours come together to give you your finished flavours. And yeast will continue to metabolise diacetyl in cask as long as there's sufficient active yeast, and it, that's very important. Um, so, this, is, this picture is of the brewing team in approximately 1952, um, which is a, an auspicious year for us, being the first year that Landlord was brewed. On the bottom row from the left, there's Sidney Taylor, uh, Philip Taylor, Percy Taylor, their father, <coughs> and on the right, John Taylor, Lord Ingrow, who was the last male Taylor. Furthest on the right at the bottom is Captain Tillotson, who was the uh, sales manager. Um, <laughs> that, that's, that's old brewing, isn't it? That? Um, <coughs> right at the top, the tallest man in the back row, so one to the fourth from the right in the back row, is Alan Hay. So Alan Hay was my predecessor's predecessor. He started working at Timothy Taylor's in 1939, uh, had a break during the war to go and do his duty, uh, had a spell at uh, a couple of breweries, Sam Smith's and Boddington's, and then came back to Timothy Taylor's. And he worked until 1996, so 57 years of service. And he was head brewer from 1966 for 30 years to 1996. And when he was retiring, he was asked to give a talk at the Harrogate Brewing Conference in 1996. And he pondered with us what he was going to say. And he thought he wanted to just lay down the principles of brewing at Timothy Taylor's which have remained the same. Uh, and at a time then, when cask beer was suffering due to the uh, introduction of smooth beers, which they thought they could recreate the mouthfeel of, of cask beer in a keg using nitrogen. So here was his solitary slide he used. What do we not do at Timothy Taylor's? No adjuncts, <laughs> no enzymes, at least I hear Garrett was on that side. No hop pellets, and no hop extracts, liquids, those things. Um, no filtration or centrifugation. No heading compounds and certainly no carbon dioxide. 
And that's true <laughs> today as it was. We are talking about cast conditioned beer. And he had a favourite saying, you'll not make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. So for us, and this is our principles, we source the best quality barley malt we can, and that for us is gold promise. Uh, barley malt with uh, finished nitrogen in the malt of less than 1.45. Uh, using low nitrogen malt means there's no need to use adjuncts to spread the nitrogen in the mash tun or decoction or step mashing regimes. And so we use a traditional three-vessel British infusion brew house with a mash tun, a copper and a hot back. So the reason I'm going through all these things is because this is how we feel cast beer should be made because okay, this isn't the conditioning part of it, but with cask beer, there's nowhere to hide. So you've got to make sure you start off in the right place. So this isn't circa 1952. This is circa uh, 2017. This is the present brewing team. Uh, behind me, Gordon McCallum, left to right. Gordon McCallum, been with us two years, Harriet Watt graduate. You, you and Snedden, uh, 14 years with us. Tom Slack, nine years with us. And Nick Berkowitz, 19 years with us. We've all been trained at Harriet Watt. So how do we do it now at Timothy Taylor's? We source heritage varieties of whole leaf hops. Um, and why are whole leaf hops so important? So rather than pelletise hops, um, I mean, have any of you been round a pelletising plant? I'm sure some of you will have done. <clears throat> and what does it smell of? Hop aroma. So in the process, heat is generated in pelletising and <coughs> delicate aromas, although they do try to keep it cool, I know, delicate aromas do get lost. Now this may not be so critical uh, with more assertive modern hop varieties, um, but certainly with traditional English varieties of hops, their delicate, subtle aromatics, um, there has to be a, a loss in quality. Uh, all our beers are brewed using liquor from our own underground source, the Knoll Spring. Um, in this liquor, the combination of trace elements uh, are unique even more unique than we realised. Um, when we, we bought a distribution site uh, 150 yards away and sunk a borehole to see what was there, and uh, the liquor was completely different. This contributes very much to the character of our beers and the family uh, flavour in our, in our core beers. So... We also believe a vigorous boil, achieves a high rate of which achieves a high rate of evaporation, is important for extracting the hop flavours and all the rest that we know goes on in the copper. But also, um, uh, a high rate of evaporation increases uh, flavour uh, development uh, on the uh, sugars and malt sides. We achieve uh, a 12 to 14 percent evaporation. I know it's unfashionable, but <laughs> that's it. Um, 
So yeast, uh, we do uh, use our own culture of yeast. Um, we've been using it for 2006 generations, generation being a week as you know, 38 and a half weeks. So each week we harvest the yeast, it's a top fermenting yeast, uh, we harvest the yeast off the top of the vessel into carts. Uh, on a Monday morning I'll look under the microscope at the choices and pick the healthiest yeast that's used for brewing next week's beers. We acid wash every four generations and it, uh, it sticks to what it is. So people like to use to repropagate uh, uh, yeast on a regular basis because it starts to mutate and starts to behave differently in the fermentation. Um, but for us, we believe, you know, our yeast went through that years and years ago. We now have, um, you know, survival of the fittest. We've got the, the types of yeast that are best suited to our environment have survived and uh, multiplied, and that's what we're using now. And it stays uh, consistent. So each year we have the DNA fingerprinting. Uh, it's a dual strain, so we have that checked out. Is that varying? And the proportions always stay between 5 and 10%. Uh, and recent research has shown that there is a very dominant yeast, um, and the parentage of our yeast culture, um, we believe there's one Yorkshire yeast and one Lancashire yeast. So <laughs> the dominant yeast is obviously the Yorkshire yeast. <laughs> <coughs> And the other one comes from somewhere west of the Pennines. <laughs> fermentations. So we believe cool fermentations lead to clean tasting beers. So although we're doing top fermentations, we, we I'm not saying we brew, we ferment very at cool temperatures compared to everybody else, but we, we maintain that a maximum temperature we allow the fermentation to go to is 67 Fahrenheit, which is just 19.8 uh, degrees C, I think. Fermentation and cooling allowed a full seven days, so the beer we brew on a Monday would not be transferred uh, to the next part of the process till the following Monday. Um, racking into casks uh, for a further two to four days and we're looking for a yeast count between 1 million and 2 million cells per milliliter. Uh, 2 million cells, we found, is, is the uh, maximum we want for our findings to be effective to give us a clear beer. Um, but less than 1 million, you don't get the proper cast conditioning where the active yeast uh, is actually going to give you a vigorous secondary fermentation in cask. But just to make that even more vigorous, we add priming sugar as well a degree of priming sugar to give the yeast a, a kickstart with some ready fermentable yeast, uh, sugar. Then, we condition the casks in our cellar or warehouse as it is now for a week before delivery to pubs. This week's important for flavour development. The beer is very green when it first goes into cask and it mellows, the flavours change enormously in that first week. And Partly that's processes in the beer, but also the yeast being there contributes to some of that flavour development. 
a minimum of 48 hours conditioning necessary in the pub cellar uh, to give time for the yeast to drop out, uh, the conditioning to uh, settle down and equalise inside the cask so that there's not too, too much lively uh, condition. Uh, and cellar training is essential to, to guide people along that way. Our beer is much livelier in cask because of the yeast uh, count in the beer. It's still the primary yeast from the fermentation. It's active, and we've added primary sugars to make it worse. So the licensee often gets a beer shampoo, but it leads to zesty flavours in the beer. So we have a team of sales guys. We've got now 15 guys nationally, and they go... Uh, We've only got 19 pubs of our own, so they don't need to do much cellar training there. But outside of our estate, free trade, they offer cellar training to licensees, which obviously helps out them a lot. They don't have to train new staff. Sorry to put this picture in front of your faces. Uh, <coughs> um, Garrett knows him well. But uh, here, this is my predecessor, Peter Ells. So why have I put the picture of him up there? Because he had a beautiful expression for the development of flavour in cast-conditioned beers. He talked about arms, arms and legs beer. So when your beer is green, so we take a sample off the rack, set it up, taste it the next day, make sure there's no flavour faults. You can often find the beer, you've got the malt flavour, you've got the hop flavours, you've got that little bit of yeast flavour but it's not coming together. It's all arms and legs beer. There's no body in the middle. And then as the flavours develops over that week in our warehouse, we tend to test the duplicate, duplicate sample a week later, that body is there. The hop, malt and the hops have come together, created this body, and it, then everything starts to sing. So, sort of in summary, but what are the benefits of brewing cast-conditioned beer? And... This extended contact with the yeast, which must be active yeast, leads to further flavour development. The yeast conditioning in the cask produces a beer with gentle condition, pleasing mouthfeel, small bubbles of CO2, great drinkability. Garrett talks about champagne not being better than other sparkling wines. Uh, wines made by the champagne method are better than other sparkling wines. Uh, and that's because the yeast is fermenting inside the bottle and produces small bubbles, which give you, they call it the mousse. Uh, it gives you that lovely mouthfeel, which you don't get from sparkling wines. <clears throat> Why else should we brew cast condition? Many of us, as possible, should brew cast condition. This maintains our heritage. This is our unique style of beer we're famous for around the world. Um, nobody else, I know there are some breweries in America who make cast conditioned beer, but this is, this is our thing. We should be celebrating and we should continue to do it for that reason. And finally, what is the other benefit of cast conditioned beer? You don't need to buy CO2. What happened earlier this year? The CO2 crisis, no problem for us. <laughs> so, what have we talked about? Definitions of cask conditioned beer, how we do it at Timothy Taylor's, and the benefits of brewing cask beer. So, what in summary I would like to say 
The most important thing is quality of everything you do. Garrett said the same thing. Um, there is no hiding place in cask, uh, especially if you're trying to produce a, a bright, clear cask beer. Um, you're not, you haven't got the option of filtering to get rid of excess yeast or anything like that. Um, but these, this is our quality way of doing things. You will have your own ways of doing things. But the important thing is to stick to your guns. So if, you, if you're brewing a beautiful beer, um, you must continue to brew it the same way. And this is why I put that slide up, uh, Alan Hayes said. We do still do all of that. We, we, we haven't changed anything. Um, we still use the same farmers for the hops and all the rest. Um, and I think that's where I'd like to finish is really quality aspect of it again. Don't cut corners. Uh, don't think that you can save money uh, by using cheaper materials. It'll just get you in trouble. And that's where I'd like to finish. Thank you very much. Andy Lehman acknowledges that Timothy Taylors are fortunate to have been able to build their brand on their longevity. They are brand beers that have a dedicated following across generations. He knows that starting fresh and building from the base is much more difficult, but that doesn't mean you cannot be successful. Quality should be paramount above all else. And for Timothy Taylors, that means no adjuncts, no enzymes, no hot pellets, no hop extracts, no filtration or centrifugation, no heading compounds, no carbon dioxide. And of course, as long as you stick to your guns and commit to producing good beer, you could be a success too. The Brewer's Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media. The host was me, Rian Owen. Special thanks to Timothy Taylors. Mixing and editing by John Young. Story development by Tim Sheehan. A big thanks to Josh Henderson for making this possible. Music is from Pond5. The executive producer is Rory Harris. We'll be back in two weeks with more. If you like this podcast, please leave us a comment or review on your podcast app. This really helps others hear about us. Or simply tell a friend to have a listen. Brewer's Journal podcast can be found on all major podcast apps. Find out more about us online at reby.media. Thank you.